Okay, so we have the record button on. Scary. There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia swallowed through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello, hello, welcome listeners. I'm Bron Gresham, host with the Climactic Collective. And in conversation this episode with Paul Shelton, partner, father of two and transition town enthusiast. I met Paul this year when we started working for the same organisation not in the area of climate change, but we soon discovered our mutual passion. In fact, since recording this interview, I have discovered just how accomplished Paul is. He is the director of Growing Spaces, member of the founding committee of Transition Australia, and was president of Transition Darabin in Melbourne for four years. He is the winner of Darabin Sustainability Awards Local Hero in 2016 and winner of Australia's Most Edible Street, which I presume we can also thank his amazing wife for. If you are anything like me and often feel the dread about our future, then this episode offers a complimentary dose of perspective that doesn't discount the reality of climate change, but one that also considers the possibilities for growth and meaning. This year, Paul organised a national convergence for Transition Towns Australia, attracting 120 locals and 50 people around Australia. In this episode, he demystifies Transition Towns, which to me, if I'm honest, had always thought they were some kind of special place, somewhere out bush, generally unattainable for, dare I say, an average city family like mine. Yet transition towns are a balance of an inspiring vision with a very here and now proactive focus. And it's this powerful blend of self-determination with community connections that I believe is fostering transformational community resilience. So wherever you are, thank you so much for listening in, for caring deeply with us and soak up the joyful energy of this episode. Welcome, Paul, to Climactic. How are you going today? I'm very well. I'm very well. The sun is shining. It is. Wind is blowing. Things are good at this point. Fantastic. We recently uh, got together talking about a conference that you coordinated called Networks to Action, and that prompted much learning from me about transition towns. And I wondered if we could maybe begin there to share with the audience what is Transition Towns? For sure. So Transition Towns uh, started in the UK and it actually came out of permaculture. It was uh, sort of like a community application of permaculture principles. So all those things like, you know, circular economies, closed loops, moving from systems to details, observing, interacting, all those sort of core permaculture principles applied to a community. Mm. And basically the idea is that you're uh, trying to apply those uh, to build an interdependent and resilient community that will be able to deal with global problems through local solutions. 
And I guess one of the sort of the really exciting things about that is that it's uh, um, it, it's framed around um, a positive vision. Mm. So it's around what could we do to actually go ahead of the curve, the changes we know we need to make to to prepare ourselves for what life might be like yep. uh, when when things happen as we kind of know they're going to. Yeah, and that really struck me when you said what appeals to you is that it's building a positive vision and um, could you speak more a little more about that appeal? Yeah, for sure. So this is, a, I think, a long-running debate in the uh, environment and sustainability sort of community about how do you actually drive change. I think there are, are two sides and, and one side of that is that you have to be like really, really blatant and, and almost sort of scare people into taking urgent, urgent action. I think that's completely valid. Uh, the other side of it, I guess, is that idea that, that you need to present a, a positive, motivating view of what could be to drive people to make the same level changes, but to do it with a view to trying to get to that uh, uh, the life that we want. And that's always, I guess, appealed to me because um, I think, A, a it's, it's quite motivating, mm. um, but also uh, the, the, that idea that, that our lives actually could be better Mm. that we're not stuck in in having to be forced to live a life that we are, that we could actually determine through our own actions, our own decisions, our own purchases, our own interactions, what sort of society and what culture we want to have. Mm. So that's been, I think, quite appealing. Mm. So it, it could be that the word positive is is more that it's acknowledging that there's a huge problem out there. So it's more like it's a synthesis of the fear matched with a vision of having something to look and, and move towards that that is something where we can actually live as opposed to where we're all going to be struggling. Yeah, I don't think anybody has the answer as to which one works better. I think what we really need to know is, is to how do we how do we have multiple uh, approaches to, to driving change? And I think one of those is about that sort of acknowledgement of the reality, uh, but but realization that that what can sometimes drive people is 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 a positive vision of what could be. Mm. And I guess that's been something that, that I've always uh, engaged with, the idea that, that um, if you actually stop and look a little bit at, at, at the, the way that we deal with uh, mm. our sort of community, our environment and our interactions with each other, how much we work, how much we buy, how much we waste, mm. that we could actually uh, fairly easily uh, acknowledge that we could live a, a more productive, more resilient, more fruitful, more interdependent, more rewarding existence if we st- made some decisions to stop doing certain things and mm. to start doing other things. Mm. And are there examples of transition towns already within Victoria or Australia? Yeah, absolutely. So the transition towns movement is is uh, an international movement. It's, it's based in the UK. That's where it came out of. But there are hundreds uh, of transition towns uh, spread across uh, the world. In Australia, we have, I think at last count, we were sort of 70, 80 transition town groups spread across um, Australia in all states and in all different areas, some urban, some regional, some rural. Uh, and, and some of them have been sort of uh, active for uh, you know, now going 10, 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are lots and lots of examples and they do a whole range of things. We have uh, groups who are really heavily invested in energy and retrofitting of houses, of food swaps, of different approaches to uh, waste management, different approaches to food, even groups who are interested in education and transport. Um, and, and the range of things they do is is fairly huge. Mm. I think the the... The linkage and the similarity between these groups is that they're looking for localised solutions to global problems mm. and that's what I think drives that sort of that localised resilient approaches to, to mm. dealing with massive challenges. And so how did you get into it? How did you first learn about transition towns? 
Uh, so I guess uh, a fairly gradual sort of uh, discovery of, of different things. And I, I think uh, my mother was quite environmentally active. Uh, so I've always been sort of around this space. Um, when I came back uh, from travelling overseas, I think I discovered this this idea of, of the Transgender Towns Network and the idea of framing um, how we can deal with our... Uh, the, the idea is that, that they have uh, a concept of addiction to growth mm-hmm. and to waste and to energy. And I think that really made me sort of go, oh, yeah, that makes absolute sense. We are addicted to mm. purchasing, to wasting, to having stuff. And I think that solidified sort of my my angle and, and energized me with uh, uh, a desire to to do to do some more stuff um, and I just uh, returned from overseas so I then had that sort of that sense of community and that real desire to be localized and to really engage with the human scale of of solutions so uh, I joined the, my local transition group transition Darabin um, and uh, was uh, involved heavily in that for it's now been sort of six, six or seven years, I guess. So was it a process of you returning back here and looking online and openly just trying to discover what was out there? Or had you heard of Transition Towns before? Did you know someone in the area? This is just making me feel old now because I can't <laughs> actually recall. It was such a long time ago. Um, no, I, you can just make something I up. I just make it up, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I – I'm trying to think of how I first actually found them. I think I just responded to something that I saw on a um, on a you know a wall or, or, mm. or in a post of some sort um, and, and just went along to that. Mm. Um, there's – in the area that, that I guess we chose to live in, which was an intentional uh, decision – actually based on how far we could ride our bicycles to mm. our place of employment. Um, there was there's a lot of things going on. So uh, we got involved in a whole bunch of those. And I guess I just found that the Transition Towns group um, was a group that really teed up and, and sort of uh, fitted with my sort of energy for that, that time at the moment. Yep. And prior to Transition Towns and living overseas and even before living overseas, you said that your mum was quite environmentally aware and engaged and that's the, you know, the kind of the background of how you grew up. Uh, And also your appeal to the kind of more vision and having a, a positive kind of a very active and engaged solution. Have there been other times where you've been taking action around climate change or engagement in environmental sustainable issues where you had a different approach or...? Yeah, so I, I mean, I remember going to the oh, what was it called the East Gippsland Coalition, and where we were sort of uh, you know sort of fighting against and protesting against uh, the logging of some old growth forest. I remember that in the very beginnings of high school, so that was a very long time ago. Wow. Um, and I think I've I've always been aware of those things. I, for example, I also remember sort of doing studies about uh, retrofitting and energy efficient housing uh, when I was in uh, primary school, actually. Uh, so I've always had this interest, and I think. Um, Part of that has been my mum's sort of activity in that space, but part of it has always has also been the fact that I have two very very intelligent brothers um, who are always up for a sort of vigorous and rigorous debate, mm-hmm. um, and that sort of really encouraged me to think uh, and, and have to defend my position. And one of those positions, I guess, has has always been this sort of disconnect of of what you know what sort of life do we actually want to live, and having to really objectively look at at that. And, and evaluate and assess well, where is this. I cannot believe how deep that is for <laughs> if you're in high school, that you're thinking about these things and it's making me think of the the 
kids now in the school strike thinking very deeply about mm-hmm. life and existential matters. Yeah. Um, and something that you were doing, I'm going to say way back then, yeah. at the risk oh, of, you know. 30, 30 years ago. <laughs> but how engaged you were already in high school. Were there particular emotions or like a, a kind of like it's not fair or like an anger that you – um, felt back then around the way that the world was working, or yeah, I don't think it was a, I don't think it was an emotionally driven um, thing. I think it was, it was a, like a logical disconnect, like it was that idea that that um, you know, ha- how can we think that we can continue to to do more, do faster, consume more, earn more, buy more, waste more? Like that just doesn't make any sense. Mm. Um, so I think I've always had that sort of like, this just doesn't work. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I do, I love systems thinking. I love the way, loves that sort of, how does this all fit in together into a mm. coherent way? And if you acknowledge that we are on a finite planet, you just simply can't accept that we are going to continue expanding forever. That's mm. just, that's just not possible. So I think it's been that sort of, it's almost technical thinking rather than emotional thinking. Yep. Um, but certainly uh, I guess, uh, Maybe it's fair to say that that there's always been that sense of um, we can do better. Yep. I remember that the house that I designed, my my first energy efficient house was this sort of sub- beautifully submerged sort of underground thing, and had water on the windows, and I was imagining me oh, looking okay. up at the at the um, the wind turbine that was generating electricity and. Uh, it was completely impractical, but <laughs> at the time it was a it was a oh, it was a beautiful sort of vision of like wow how that could be that'd yeah. be awesome yeah. And did you ever find um, getting stuck in the culture or the business as usual and the mentality around what what we're told we need to feel happy and satisfied like purchasing and oh yeah absolutely yeah. I, 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 every year I have this issue with uh, you know, with Christmas where you you get that sort of. Uh, you know, and one side, this is about family and, and love and forgiveness and joy. Mm. And on the other side, it's about how much you can you buy and how much you can get. Mm. I've always found that that really difficult. Mm. Um, I guess in in that day, 30 years ago or so, there wasn't really, it wasn't a sort of thing that we had consciously and, and, and overted mm. uh, yet. Uh, I think now very much it is. And I have this conversation with with my children all the time when they'll go, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd really like that, but I don't really need it. My son currently is writing a letter to Lego to uh, to um, ask them how they're going with a, a recycled um, approach or a sort of more environmentally friendly approach to Lego because he, he loves Lego, but he's actually, you can see him sort of having this, this conflict of, well, it's plastic, mm. so I love the Lego, but mm. how how can I justify that? I think the the kids now are so much more on the ball than, than we were. And just tell the audience, how old is he? He is ten. Wow! Um, and he, I have a, an eight year old daughter and a ten year old son, um, and they're all. Uh, it's fascinating to watch their their little thought processes go. Yeah. Um, but th- I guess it's one way to support that inner conflict or tension is transferring that into some kind of action. And an action that's not saying, hey, I'm I'm the one to blame or you're the one to blame, but let's be accountable and responsible and ask some questions. Yeah, absolutely. And get curious and, yep. and, and do something test about the it. system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how lucky is he to be able to do that? It's amazing. Well, I, I hope so. I, I don't think it, it, it doesn't come uh, scot-free. I think there are the pitfalls in having to do that. And in some ways, you know, I, maybe we'd love to think that we'd have this sort of just a blissfully ignorant mm. childhood, but I don't think that's reality. Mm. And I actually think he's probably, they both, he and she, uh, are both better off from having that awareness and having the mm. the toolkit of mm. being able to, to process some of that stuff. Mm. Um, and I love the, the, the moments where they they manage to, to find the win-win 
uh, out of that. You know, when, when we say, oh, you know, we let's go out, but let's take our Tupperware, you know, so we can sit in the park. You know, that, that, <laughs> I, I love those sort of moments where you just go, that's gold, fantastic, <laughs> let's do that. Uh, so, And the more challenging moments, um, thinking of um, people in our audience who are also parents who have children who are grappling with, you know, the systems changes that are occurring, some mm. that are stuck and some that are in transition and uh, how they kind of tend to the sadness or the frustration or the anxiety that they might be seeing in their children. I don't expect you to mm. obviously have all the answers, but I'm I'm interested in how you as a dad with, you know, you've got such a wealth of experience and knowledge around this subject. How 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 do you kind of approach it with your kids when they do have that inner battle or they do feel a bit sad? For sure. And and I I completely agree. I do not have all the answers <laughs> and I don't think anybody has the answers at this point. And I think, I guess the way I approach it is that uh, you can pretend that they aren't aware, but that's really just you pretending that, mm. that the anxiety doesn't come from, from what we do. The anxiety comes from a, a, a reality mm. and, a, and a sort of a real acknowledgement of, of what's going on in their world. Mm. Um, and we can pretend that it's not the case, but that doesn't change the, the fact that they are going to pick it up and, mm. um, uh, so what I guess my approach is to, to say that we can we should really sort of give them the uh, benefit of the doubt that they get what's going on. Mm. We should engage them as much as we can in understanding and have that conversation. One of the, the amazing things that my wife does, of many amazing things, is really early on our sort of decision to have children, we said that we weren't going to lie to our children at all, mm-hmm. uh, which makes, again, Christmas somewhat awkward <laughs> at times but when what, they are, what do you mean <laughs> uh nothing is there no, some there, kind of secret there that you need to reveal on, on i don't air? think there's, there's definitely not a secret uh, that i need to reveal okay, on air it's, i'm going to tell fantastic. santa that um you know. tell him hi from me <laughs> or, or her hi from me who am i to say who santa is and isn't um but but we we had the, you know, we had those conversations and we were perfectly honest and we actually talked about some mm. of the, the background but but i think that um you know, we, we've always said that we're going to be honest with them. So when they ask a question, we actually give them the, the honest answer, not mm. to say we try and avoid shooting them, mm. uh, telling them what they should do and what they shouldn't do, but we try and be um, completely honest about what's going on and involve them in, so what should we do about it? Mm. So when, you know, uh, uh, my daughter's sort of talking about, uh, you know, the environment and, and, and forests and stuff, then we say, well, okay, so, so how, do we, how do we avoid how do we promote mm. this? You know, how can we plant some, you know, some bee trees so that we can promote mm. insect life? How can we uh, grow some more of our own food? Any of those sorts of things. And I think we've we've always tried to do that um, because kids, if you can give the kids some sort of a vehicle and some sort of a leverage and some sort of a tool mm. or a, a way of thinking about things that actually enables them to think, oh, okay, I get this is a problem. How do we how do we think about the solution mm. as opposed to just holding this sort of generalized. Ooh, I'm, I know that something's wrong, mm. but I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to have the resources to actually um, uh, make it sort of, I don't know the word, but you know, yeah. the instruments in which to deal and process with. Yeah. I remember going to a talk years ago of a guy who was asked, uh, how, do you bring, how do you teach resilience in children? And he said, you can't. All you can do is you can give them the tools and the awarenesses and the knowledge so that when they are down they mm. can choose to use those tools mm. to get themselves back up and mm. then they will make themselves resilient. Mm, I can even just imagine having a conversation or, or trying to have a dialogue with one's child about this and just generating words on the experience is 
a protective factor in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. And um, as you were talking, uh, something came to mind that I think is probably a more challenging subject, which is when things aren't going as quickly or as um, effectively as we would like and we do allow those thoughts around what is to come enter mm-hmm. and the you know the catastrophe that we're facing and the existential crisis that we're facing how do you as a dad sit with or work through I assume you have these moments I have these Absolutely. moments I feel like since having children especially much more motivated and I'm, I feel the fear and the urgency it's more yeah. palpable and yep. so how how are you finding yourself working through that at the moment? How are you going with that? Well, I'd love to say it's easy. I've pretty much got it sorted, but I, you don't. I don't. Have it sorted, I don't have it. Yes, yeah, sorry. I did say I didn't have the answers. I did point that out in the disclaimer. Um, look, I, I don't know. I, I think. What are your choices? <laughs> like, do you do you throw your hands up and go? I don't know, so I'm mm-hmm. just going to to ignore and hope for the best. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a. I don't really think that's an option. Mm. Um, once you know, you can't unknow something. Mm. Um, I think the only thing you can do is 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 say, you know, if we were to shoot forward uh, you know, 50 years, uh, you want to be able to say in 50 years' time, I, I did my absolute best. Mm. You know, mm. I, I really authentically mm. put in to, to, to whatever s- sort of changes mm. we're making um, and that I, I did my best to try and make it good. Mm. And could that include, like, I've got to be honest, sometimes I have thrown my hands up in the air and, um, you know, deleted emails before even reading them, turned off the oh, news, terrible, just terrible. tried to ignore that climate change is even happening just to try to have a day where I don't have those thoughts Absolutely. enter in. Is that, do you think that what I'm telling myself to make <laughs> myself feel better is that that's actually part of the process of doing my best? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you you don't do any... You don't do yourself or anyone else any favours if you are overwhelmed. Mm. Um, I am the same. Mm. And I, I get a constant alerts through my emails and, and most of them I don't read. And, mm. and the news, I, I skip over most of the things. I, mm. I acknowledge the, the scope of the problem that we're doing. I'm well aware of, of all the tragedy. Mm. I don't need to be traumatised constantly by it. Mm. Um, you know, the... That's the, the, the choice. That's the that's the choice. And yep. the the emergency services thing, if you know the first person to ensure that that, that mm-hmm. you are, you know, safe and you are mm-hmm. able to act is is mm-hmm. you. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's the same with with responding to this climate emergency, mm-hmm. that, that we really need to make sure that we're in a place to help other people. We don't mm-hmm. do anyone any favours if we're curled up in a ball. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Having curled up in a ball several times, it's <laughs> yeah, find a nice place to curl up in a ball, and it's quite nice to <laughs> you know for, for ten minutes to, to curl up in a ball and just you know, rock yourself gently to sleep. But um, but but you know, I think that's that's just looking after yourself. I don't think that's yeah. sort of uh, ignoring. Yeah, it's almost part of the journey is having those moments of meltdown in yeah. order to then get that through the system to then re but the the key is choosing to refocus on something on what works and what's yeah. driving you and motivating you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 like any sort of change, isn't it? You, yeah. And, and I think that sort of looping back to that sort of transition towns thing that the, that that idea of addiction that we are addicted to growth then gives us a, a sort of a a, a well well-travelled path of how we deal with that addiction. Yep. You know, we acknowledge the addiction. Mm. We acknowledge it's going to be tough to kick it. Mm. Uh, we know we're going to need help. 
Yep. We know it's going to be, there are going to be times when it's going to be two steps forward and one step back um, and, and we need to work at it. And I, I think that's, you know, that's actually kind of a nice way of thinking about it. Yeah, it's uh, an excellent it's model to be working off. It actually reminds me of the Good Grief Network mm-hmm. stuff that's happening in the US and yep. they are modelling off the addiction model in yep. terms of peer-to-peer and, um, you know, acknowledging the problem is a first step and Absolutely. so on. So. Now it's time for Climactic Community Corner where we play voice messages sent to us on Facebook. We're opening up this space for the community to share events, news, thoughts, feelings, all sorts. If you've got a message to share, just send it to us at Climactic Show on Facebook or hello at climactic.fm. Hi there, Climactic listeners. Ben McKenzie here from Splendid Chaps Productions. We make Night Terrace, a sci-fi comedy audio series starring Jackie Woodburn, also known as Susan from Neighbours. Here's a clip where her character, Dr. Anastasia Black, has been taken into the future by her time-travelling terrace house. What exactly was our solution to the country becoming an unlivable wasteland? We couldn't just sit there and watch our country die. So we built a big spaceship and buggered off. You're standing on the starship Australis. Remember, surfing in the Harold Holt crewing tanks is strictly prohibited. Please enjoy your time on board the Starship Astralis. Get a dog up, you. I hope you enjoyed that little taste of night terrace. We're currently trying to crowdfund a third season. Find out how you can help and listen to our first episode for free at nightterrace.com. That's terrace as in terrace house. On Thursday, the 28th of November at 12 p.m., environment groups and communities from across Victoria will peacefully rally together at Parliament to call for urgent action for our natural world. After five years of the Andrews government, nature deserves more especially in the face of climate change. Victorians need new and better funded national parks, stronger nature laws, better protections for our threatened forests, rivers, beaches, oceans, and native plants and animals. We need real action for our natural places and wildlife. Now, join in the Nature for Life rally. Bring a sign to highlight the natural places you love that deserve better protection. See you on Parliament Steps. Thursday, 28th of November at 12pm. Look for Nature for Life Rally on Facebook and visit vnpa.org.au slash rally for more information. And you'll find a link in the show notes. My thanks to the organizers for the Nature for Life Rally for sending in this message for Community Corner. And if you've got a message, please just send it in to hello at climactic.fm. One of the things that you told me before was that you could have more fun with less. Now, I know this is true, <gasps> yep. but I keep falling into the trap of having these thoughts, I need this and I need that, and I catch myself and then I don't buy this and that mm-hmm. most of the time. Yep. Sometimes I slip. Yep. But how do you stay firm to that? Like you, you just you do know that you can have more fun with less. Like Absolutely. We all know this deep in yep. our bones. Yeah. How do like – how, how do, do we keep, how do we kind of get people to you know do this? Well, I, I, there's probably two parts of that question, as as with all good responses. Um, the, the first is not to beat yourself up if you slip, because uh, yeah. that actually doesn't help that much. But but I think um, taking I think one of the troubles that we have, and, and I have this, uh, I've had this debate with, with loads of people, is that we're in such a hurry 
we actually put ourselves in situations where we don't have the um, the wherewithal to stop ourselves and go, oh, hang on, let's let's not do that. Uh, years ago, again, uh, we, we decided we weren't going to work full time. Uh, we started off uh, having sort of one year out, one year on uh, between my and my wife, to, yep. to myself and my wife, to look after our children. And then we actually decided we would um, work part time, both of us part time. Ideally, three days a week. We've both slipped a little bit. But I think one of the things that, that actually helps you staying on that bandwagon is, is giving yourself enough time to actually do it. Mm-hmm. The, the doing more and enjoying life more with less is actually um, uh, sort of founded on having the time to make use of. Uh, mm. to, to sort of avoid those mm. spontaneous things. Just to, to give you an example, uh, uh, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit more, mm. but um, sh- when you go shopping, if you are working full-time and you are under the pump, you go straight to the convenience store, you go to Coles, you, or you go to a, a mass uh, supermarket. <laughs> we won't start uh, advertising <laughs> for them. Um, and, and you're forced to buy things that are packaged. You're forced to buy things that are probably less healthy than you would. Whereas if you actually had the time to uh, think about what you're going to get, you would buy things that were less packaged, more healthy, that were more sort of actually enlivening to your soul. Mm-hmm. There's nothing There's nothing that kills you inside more than, mm-hmm. than something you stick into a microwave and it comes out mm-hmm. looking much the same as it did when you stuck it in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, except popcorn. Except Well, even so, popcorn in microwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, we're really going to have to have another talk about about that. Um, but, I mean, you know, all of, all of those sorts of, of things, if you can actually decrease the amount of, of, of tensions and pressures you have on your life by... By working less, by owning less, by um, you know moving around less. This, mm. this uh, uh, idea that we, that we can be you know on on three sides of a town in one day is mm. just nuts. Mm. And in fact, if we slowed down a little bit, mm. um, you would find that that we can actually give ourselves time to go. You know, do I really need that? Mm. Um, a, a great example is takeaway coffees. Mm. How many mm. millions of takeaway coffees? Do we have and and are they actually making us really really mm. unhappy mm. because we're so rushing around to get our coffee and quickly rush to the next thing? It mm. would be way better for us just to say, okay, if you want a coffee, great, mm. stop, mm. take the ten minutes. Your life is not that important mm. to take ten minutes. Or just it is to that have, important to take ten? minutes. It is that important. Yeah. You are that important. Your yeah. job, your next appointment, whatever, yeah. is probably not. Yeah. important enough that you can't actually prioritise 10 yeah. minutes just to sit. So devil's advocate question. <sighs> How Tough. with the transition town philosophy, mentality, mm-hmm. um, practically speaking, if we're on, you know, commercial air, speaking to, you know, the large majority of the Australian population mm-hmm. who um, from what we can observe are very time poor, highly you know working a lot of hours just to pay the mortgage how do you see the transition towns philosophy blending in with kind of business as usual like the majority of people's lives yeah that's a uh, that is a really tough question it's a devil's well, it's and, a, yeah oh, no. you're asking the really tough questions um so i guess and, and and it's good that you brought up the mortgage because actually the the mortgage thing is a real challenge for people because it actually sticks you in that space where where you have to do these things to to um, pay this this thing and it then drives the rest of your life mm. to a certain extent. Um, so how does the but so does rent? Well, rents, yeah, but you know, yeah, so property in general, like that that yeah. single amount that you have to work. Yeah huge amounts in order to pay this inflated amount of prices that really has no bearing on the cost that it takes, the cost of construction or, or what yeah. have you. Um, so how does it integrate? I guess what it, it does is um, 
encourages you to think about uh, what are the what are the lever points in your life that you could actually um, become more interdependent, uh, less independent. Mm. You could become uh, slower. You mm. could you could become more sort of localized in your responses. Some things like that is you know can you even um, you know, can you even look at how do I access my food? Or if mm. I grow lettuces on my balcony, mm. can I swap them with somebody else to get something else? Mm. Can I think about you know, walking or riding as opposed to those sorts of things, mm. as opposed to driving? Can I think about um, how do I engage with my next door neighbours? I mean, in a really simple way, every single person should know their next door neighbours. I know. It's crazy that, it's, you know. It's nuts. It's only taken a few. I feel like even, you know, Two, three decades ago, knowing your neighbours and playing with your neighbours was just part of the norm. Yeah. But these days, it's you barely speak to even people in the same apartment block. Let That's alone. right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of, and, and the, the sort of the flow on effect of that is that mm. you start to go, you tell your kids, oh, you know, don't, you can't just go play at the park by yourself because mm. I don't know who might be there. And that's, mm. you know, all of these things, yeah. we start to get scared of, of, of other. Yeah. But I will take that, that sort of question that actually it, it's a real, um, it's a reality that we do need to be careful that when we're talking about movements and transition towns being one of them, mm. that we, we say that um, that there are people who are doing it really tough mm. <laughs> and that, that we shouldn't sort of preach to this is how one must live, mm. um, that, that some people are really taking, uh, really having to work really hard to, to make ends meet. Mm. Um, but I think the principles are very accessible. Yeah. One of my worries is the um, transition towns get stigmatised as hippie not that there's yep. anything wrong with hippies but that it it kind of fits only one particular type of community or person sure. whereas when you actually read about transition towns and permaculture you realize mm-hmm. that they're fundamentally they're common humanity elements absolutely that that idea of being interconnected is is just such an important thing that we've we've just lost mm-hmm. and 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 so many aspects of our you know our economy even of our architectural design you know tall tall fences of our of our roads and transport systems are mm-hmm. are designed even the the way that we move through you know with we've all got headphones on now nobody mm-hmm. will stop and talk to to people a lot of these things are we, we've done to ourselves, but the, what the the impact of it is that they are in individualizing us, mm. uh, and uh, that's a real problem. Mm. That, oh. that really damages our ability to be resilient. And you are not going to be resilient if you are an independent person. Yeah, and to miss out on those connected. Or I, I was walking to the train station this morning, and this train commuter smiled at me. Mm. Not once, but twice. Yeah. Like I walked past her, I went and got a coffee, walked back. She smiled at me twice. She looked me in the eyes and smiled at me. And it was kind of like both awkward and warming. Yeah. And you miss out on those opportunities when you're looking at your phone. Oh, absolutely. So I want to I wanna th- think about this interconnection piece, um, but also the challenges of applying transition town philosophy, even within the transition town movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and just thinking about some of the, the challenges that you've come, come up against in, you know, your volunteer work with transition towns mm-hmm. um, and, you know, You've said right in the beginning there are no right, there's no one solution here. No, I, I really firmly believe that, that we don't know what's going to work. That, that simple problems have simple answers, complex problems must have complex and multiple answers. And, um, you know, whatever. if I choose to go one way, but actually it turns out that another group is, is the answer, then I will be the first to buy them a round of beers and say, yeah, you were right. <laughs> um but uh, so some of the, I guess for me, the problem uh, or one of the challenges around transition towns is, is, is being real about it. 
And I think this is one of the things that, that we need to look at um, across the sort of environmental sustainability community is how do we match the level of problem with the level of solution? Mm. You know, we're facing a real existential challenge that, mm. are, you know, massive losses and traumatised listeners mm. as much as we like, but mm. let's not. Mm. Um, so how do we actually up up what Transition Towns can do to the point where where we can actually say, you know what, we are way more resilient. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that Transition Towns has been great at doing is building community. One of the things that I think is a challenge to Transition Towns is how do we up the systems that we put in place mm. to make them truly resilient. So if there was a food shock, mm. that that your local food network, your, your veggie swaps, your food swaps actually are going to be instrumental in helping you deal with that better. Mm. Your local... You know, permaculture group is going to be ready to swing into action to mm. to increase the um the, the sort of the the homegrown urban orchard sort of stuff. Mm. You know, how do we how do we do those things that make it make us truly resilient? Mm. Um, there was a, a the <coughs> part of the transition um sort of I guess history is to look at what happened in Cuba when when there was a, a complete um, oil embargo, and some of the systems that swung into action to actually build community and enable them to to actually get healthier mm. <laughs> through mm. that reduction mm. in energy yeah um, and I know it's been a little sort of romanticized and I'm sure we only we don't have the full story of it but but things like you know sharing networks things like knowing your community things like mm. having alternative transports mm. um, and then really going to you know do we have uh, community gardens that are actually urban orchards that will mm. produce food really produce you know com- mm. not commercial level but commercial sort of quantities of food for their local area, mm. if if they stopped collecting our rubbish, mm. could we actually deal with that in a way that was sort of meeting the the, mm. the need? Mm. And I think this is the challenge in in, in thinking around um, localized sus, uh, solutions. Mm. Is how do we up it mm. to the point where it where it um or buffer where it, it against a, the potential kind of stresses and strains on that mini system? That's that right. That's right. Because the last yeah. thing you want to do is have a system that that works really well when everything's good. Yeah. But then when things are bad, it falls apart. It falls apart. Yeah. Let's not um, have that. Let's not have that. So yeah. I think that there needs to be a, a, um, a sort of just a, a really honest. And I, and I think across the board, we all need to step back and look at our organisations and look at what we're doing and say, okay. What do we do well? Let's yeah. do that. Yep. Let's do a lot more of that. And what do we not do so well? And if we don't do this, can we find a group who does do that well? Yeah, yeah and it's, I guess, um, being conscious of the psychological mentality that can be so damaging around competition. And, oh, yeah. you know, we are in many respects competing for different things, yeah. whether it's conscious or subconscious, you know, that that there's always going to be our ego in the room. Yeah. And, um, you know, how can we really embody in our own turning, great turning, this um, the spirit of rising together, not above. Absolutely. And I think that's challenged for all of us on a daily basis, even if we are quite conscious of collaborating and bringing everyone with us, that there's still, you know, going to be moments where there is that kind of inner competitive spirit or, um, you know, that dichotomous right-wrong mm-hmm. and passion around what's right or what's wrong. And we're kind of, we're all trying to shift to that more complex picture where dichotomies are synthesised, where there's kind of multiple truths. Yeah. And and it's it. I mean, I think that we've really had no model of that. Like I, throughout my entire life, mm. there's only been one way that things are done. 
no, it's a commercial sort of neo-capitalist way. You have a boss, you have yeah. people who do things. The, the aim is to expand, it's to get bigger, it's to, to take over more, it's to be more important. More. And I think we, we really at a deep level struggle to think of how that could be different. Yep. Um, despite the fact that in a natural world, actually out-and-out competition is really rare. Mm. Um, you know, mm. mutualism and uh, is, is by far the, the sort of preferred approach. Mm. But I just don't think we really have the models or even the, it's not close enough to our own experience in, in a sort of temporal way mm. for us to be able to go, okay, this would look like that. Mm. Um, the only, the, a lot of the groups are sort of harking back to sort of World War uh, responses. Mm. You know, this is how we looked after each other. Mm. In, in the, again, I think that's probably been romanticised a little bit as to yep. how well we actually did that. Yeah, but, but it's kind of like taking a little bit of the past, but also a little bit of the visionary future and yeah. you know synthesising them for the present. Yeah, uh, and I think that idea of of, of of the old you know elder wisdom Absolutely. with with, with uh, future vision. Yep. Um, it is definitely combo. yeah, it's definitely a powerful combo. I am going to suggest we were going to talk about the convergence that yep. you organised where there was 56 different organisations coming together. Indeed. Um, and perhaps in our show notes we can put a link to um, the Transitions Australia yep. website yep. Um, so people can learn a little bit more about that. For sure. I, I really, before our time comes to an end, would mm-hmm. love to hear um, about any words of wisdoms or lessons that you had from... Uh, organising such a big event because I know there are many listeners out there who are trying to gather people together, gather groups together, organise conferences, symposiums, mm-hmm. this and that, and just um, wondering if you have any any lessons that you learned from, you know, organising the convergence recently. Uh, so, yes, lots of <laughs> lots of lessons. Every, every time uh, I organise one of these things, I, I sometimes stop myself about um, a week, sort of six or so, and go, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I doing this again? Um, uh, in terms of sort of uh, words of wisdom, uh, I, I think you need to be a really open and uh, communicative with people, um, uh, but also have a real clear vision of what you want to achieve. Mm. Um, I, I, one of the things that I think leaves people enjoying the day but leaving with not much is is, is when you, you sort of just – when the aim is just to get together. Mm. I think we really need to have um, a sort of a real clear message of what do we want to get. So we framed ours around networks for action and that in, in a nutshell was what we wanted. Mm-hmm. We, we wanted to develop those networks to really drive action. We didn't want it to be a nice, warm, fuzzy time. That's good. Yep. You know, that, that meets that's it, a nice know, tone. That's a nice tone but if we can actually make that get to some place then, then that's great. Um, I think the, there is this is I think it's really difficult to get different groups together into the same space, but I also think it's really crucial. Um, I did my facilitator training with a group called Groupworks, mm-hmm. um, and and they always talked about uh, the world needing good facilitators to enable the wisdom in the room or the wisdom in the world to come to the surface. And I really mm. think that's that's really true. The world really does need opportunities to have real frank, uh, challenging but compassionate. Um, conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we really need to have those more. Um, in, in terms of sort of, I guess, um, bringing all these people together, we, we thought a lot about how could we frame this in a way that would promote people to, to come in with that, okay, this is what it's going to be. Mm. So we, we made it really clear um, uh, about the sort of the, the way that we structured things. So we said things pre, uh, prior to people getting there about, um, you know, nobody has the answer. 
So we really wanted to straight away sort of say, okay, this is not an opportunity for you to recruit or ah. for you to preach. Yep. That, that, that simple solutions have simple answers and yep. this ain't it. Yep. <laughs> so yep. nobody has the answer. So we're going to be open to, to hearing all the answers. Yeah, so setting that really clear expectation from the beginning. From the beginning, mm, absolutely. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, we uh, put uh, as a sort of guiding principle the idea of um, challenge with compassion, mm-hmm. that we really wanted it not to be uh, stuck in that um, – I can't remember exactly how it's said, but, you know, stuck in that space of nice mm. where we're all going to be very nice to mm, each other. Mm. We really wanted people to be saying, yeah, but what about this? How yep. would you deal with this? How would you, you know, expand a change or market, yeah. get people involved? Um, it's kind of like the balance in therapy between like validating like, okay, I get, I get where you're coming from. It makes sense that you're feeling that way. But if you only validate, you never get anywhere. You have to right. have problem solving yeah. and encouragement and motivating. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so we really wanted and, – and if that's done in a space of compassion, then everybody leaves going, wow, that was really tough. But you know what? I actually feel better. It's very for satisfying. Having, it's great. Yep. And, and again, in community groups, we, we don't have a lot of opportunities to do that. Um, and then I think, we again, we, we made just really clear about what the outcome was. and So we, we talked about um, powerful, visible and interdependent action. And that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to, to have out of that, to give people that sort of mental um, vision Mm. of what that might be. Mm. Um, in terms of challenges, there are, there are always challenges mm. getting getting together different groups. Um, but what I think was lovely about actually being in the space, mm. and I said it at the time, that, that um, you could catch glimpses where you would go, oh, my God, I've just seen something amazing. You know, mm. I've just seen these three groups who don't really see eye to eye suddenly just, just almost you know, pausing for a second going, oh, hey. Common ground? common ground oh actually we're, we're we're actually yeah yeah i agree with that that's great wow and you know that just sort of you know you can see it in in facilitation all the time where the, the energy just sort of either yeah. goes up or just just goes Phew. everyone's yeah. like oh great yeah i guess okay, we don't need to compete anymore oh, um and it was wow. it was amazing to see some of those just glimpses of wow oh, this is this is where we're this is where our power actually gets um you know, it gets massive. Yeah. On on a lighter note, um, it was it was also great to see people go from a space of, of sort of hard challenge yeah. to, to to wanton silliness. Yeah. Um, we, we had a hookup. Uh, we had 120 people in in Melbourne, um, but we also hooked up with five other states. So we had sort of around maybe 200 odd people uh, across Australia. And what we really wanted to do was to try and hook them up through a multimedia platform, so they could feel the reality of actually there are millions of volunteers there are millions of people who are spending hours and hours and hours um donating to to ways that we can sort of uh, help the environment or change the world Mm. that we want to Mm. live in um so we tried to do that in an online thing we we learned some lessons some things were good um technology is always problematic but one of the things we did was was say it can't all be about content it has to be about Mm. community at some point Mm. so in between these sort of rapid reporting from each of the states Mm. we had um we had uh, challenges mm. and some of them were sort of, you know, like mindful breathing, like mm-hmm. played some music and in for five and out for seven mm-hmm. and all that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And some of them were just out and out silly. So we had a uh, confronting the hug apocalypse <laughs> session where you had to, with consent, of course, um, you know, give your next door neighbour a, a hug uh, or, a, or a fist bump <laughs> or a compliment. Um, and it was great to see that on the, on the screen. And we yeah. also had a, um, a, 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 what do we call it, a, a sustainable <laughs> which was uh, 30 seconds of, of dancing. And, and whilst it, it was silly, it was kind of uh, amazing to see the 120 people in the room dancing to Shake a Tail Feather. 
um, but also for them to see people in Queensland, people in South Australia, people in Tasmania, people in New South Wales, people in Western Australia, all being in different places but at the same time doing the same thing. Yep. You could almost suspend your disbelief <laughs> for a second and go, hey, we, we're all in the same room. Yeah. And, and I think that was that was amazing. Yeah. And and just um, in recalling this now, you're like absolutely glowing. Opposite oh, me, you're very animated. And I just, I feel like that that is so important. I guess I want to mm. say congratulations <laughs> on organising. Just soak, yeah. soak in the compliment. Oh, okay. Congratulations for being such an awesome human being. Oh. <laughs> for pulling together so many people from such diverse groups to a common cause. Mm. And you know, reveling in the achievements and the accomplishments of that because this is what sustains our motivation. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's it's just so nice. I mean, that 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 energy to see yeah. people, you know, at the right time, having the right strategy or, or practice yeah. with the right tone, with the yeah. right people, that's that's when the magic happens. And, and that's I mean, to, to sort of loop all the way back to, to you know, d- living life more with less. Yeah. You know, Imagine if that was your Friday night. Yeah. That in your community you could have that right time. You don't need a fancy yeah. venue. It can be a park. It can be whatever. You don't actually need very much. If we had more of that yeah. and less of the consumption, yeah. actually our lives would be so much better. Yeah, so living we, life with more. As living well life as, with more. Yeah. Let's I do love that. It. I love it. And <laughs> I love your creative facilitation style. I think there's so much to learn with all of the different strategies and techniques that you made to mm. help that that convergence work and function <laughs> as optimally as possible. Yeah. We need to finish up our no, time here time together fly. and we wow. can keep chatting after this without <laughs> it being recorded. But thank you so much for okay. being so honest and giving in your time today and for sharing such um, relevant stories about, you know, how you got into this, the challenges that you face that I'm sure the audience will really connect with mm-hmm. as shared challenges. And, if the audience wanted to learn a little bit more about Transition Towns or you, where would they go? I, I think that's pretty much all I have to learn. There's nothing more about me. I'm, I'm not, that, <laughs> not actually that interesting. Just um, so what I would encourage people to do is to go to Transi- the Transition Australia website. Uh, it has a free way that they can advertise events, that they can advertise groups. Uh, it's really, really easy to navigate. What we would really like to do is for that website to show not our events, but to show just the size and the scope of events that are happening everywhere. Mm. Uh, if we really looked at how many groups and how many actions there are happening across Australia uh, and put them in a space where they were easily visible, mm. I think people would just be like, whoa, oh, there is so much happening and it would just dwarf the you know the minerals council which is always on the news or that sort of thing you just go wow there are you know 50 groups within a kilometer of my thing and there are 60 things happening this saturday alone um, we so really need to see that and so get into absolutely there is stuff happening and of course there's more to be done and there's lots of stuff happening yeah absolutely and i think that's massively motivating so go to www.transitionaustralia.net Amazing. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Awesome. With a link. Thanks, Paul. No worries. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly 
in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening. And from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. Collective.